Welcome to Ride Over Stride, episode 42. to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis, a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm back here again today with Master Horseman Van Hargis. How you doing, Van? Laura, I'm wonderful. Thank you very much. How about this, you know, not too long ago, we had Groundhog's Day, and I couldn't help but to think to myself, darn, we got to put up with these 70 and 80 degree days for another six weeks. I know. You know isn't a, wintertime tough down here? <laughs> it, it's it's rough. I, yeah, we were in the mid-80s yesterday in North Texas, and windows open and breeze blowing in. It's spectacular, and I just don't know how I'm going to make it through another six weeks. <laughs> it just kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Kind of makes you wonder. It does. But, you know, sympathies to those who uh, who live elsewhere. I posted a little thing in, in uh, I think it was in Instagram, with a picture of the doors open I, with the hashtag, this is why I live in Texas. So. Yeah, no kidding. Isn't that the truth? All right. Well, getting back to what we're here for. So what, what are we talking about today, Van? Today we're going to talk about developing a horse's responsiveness and, and respect. So many times, the majority of the questions that I get will eventually re- revert back to some form of respect. The horse is not having enough respect for us. So we're going to touch a little bit on that today. And we're going to throw a couple of quotes out there that I use fairly frequently. One of which, Laura, that you've, you've probably heard before, and, and I, I'm going to have to give credit where credit's due. Many years ago, of course, I, I lived in New Zealand for a short time, uh, about two years, I guess it was, I was there. And while I was there, I met a wonderful man by the name of Laurie McVicker. And uh, Laurie kind of became kind of my surrogate grandfather. I mean, he kind of adopted me. I adopted him. I found myself going over there quite frequently. And and uh, he himself was a pretty darn good horseman. And he was one of those types that was quite willing to share his opinions, uh, which I welcomed. But one of the things he said to me one time as we were working with horses and, and he was watching me and watching my timing. And he said, you know, Van, firm hands make a light horse. And the reason he said that at that particular moment was because he saw me really kind of pulling on the horse pretty good, and I apologized for it. I said, oh, I hate to kind of pull on that horse so much. Sorry about that, Laurie. And he came out with that quote, firm hands make a light horse. Now, what does that mean? You know, firm hands make a light horse. Well, first of all, I want to I clarify what firm means to me and what I'm referring to, um, you know, when we're talking about firm hands. Firm hands mean that you're just steady, you're firm, but you're not jerky. You're not to the point where you're harsh and heavy, not to the point where you're quick. Quick as far as responding quickly, but not quick to the point where you're snatching and hurting a horse or or doing things in a way that is too abrupt. Firm just means that you're that you are just that. You're just firm. You're steady. And um and being firm and steady with a horse kind of sets a boundary. It lets the horse know, for example, on that particular incident, when Laurie gave me that advice and shared that quote with me, I happened to be working a horse on a fairly short lunge line, just working around me. And the horse began to to lean on me a little bit. Well, if you didn't really understand firm, you would think, oh, he's got a good firm grip on that horse. But you see, firm in this case meant that the horse was, was, was actually leaning on me. In other words, he was pulling 
against me as if I was swinging a really big, heavy boulder on the end of a, of a string and the centrifugal force was pulling against me. Well, oftentimes we're lunging horses, that occurs. The horse is not really carrying themselves. They're a little bit lazy. They get at the end of that lead rope, and before you know it, they're pulling on us. And, of course, them being much larger than us, they tend to kind of pull us around and untrack us to, to a certain degree. Well, I would get the horse to, or allow the horse to get on the end of that lead rope, and when he was kind of pulling on me a little bit, I would pull him back and force some slack into the rope. In other words, I'd pull his nose to me, and then I'd kind of relax my arm again and create some slack back in the rope. And every time the horse would get to the end of the rope again, then I would do that same pull. I would pull him and then let him go. But here's what Laurie witnessed, and here's what I want to kind of reiterate. Firmness means when I say I'm pulling on him, I'm not snatching him. In other words, I don't hit him when the rope is slack and take the slack out very quickly and pop the horse at the end of the lead rope. What I do instead is I wait until the horse makes contact with me. And once the horse makes contact with me, then I pull and then I let go very quickly. What the horse will notice is, is that not only do I pull his nose back into position, but I immediately release that once the horse's nose is where I want it to be. So there's that moment in time there to where that lead rope is slack. And that's what I want the horse to seek out. I want him to seek out that slack of that lead rope. But in order for him to do that, he has to realize, too, that he has to do what my good friend Miss Lynn Palm would refer to as self-carriage, meaning that the horse has to carry himself. He's not being dependent on me. He's not using me for a crutch. He's not pulling on me. He's not being lazy. He's learning how to carry himself into that circle in which I was working him. So firmness, in other words, in that case, me being firm, I was creating the epitome of lightness. And what I mean by lightness is when the horse is very responsive. He's not pulling on me. He's not tugging on me. He's carrying his own weight. He's practicing self-carriage. And oftentimes, by being very firm with them, you can actually teach them to be very light, be very self-sufficient instead of being dependent. So that's, I, I mean, I'm tr I was trying to picture that in my head as you were describing it and thinking about times when I've had, a you know, been lunging a horse. And it's the maybe that balance or the, the difference between sort of having them always pulling on, against you on the rope versus having that slack there, having them, right. they are, so they're, they're not lean when they're not leaning back against the pressure of the rope in your hand, but they're actually directing themselves in the circle. Absolutely. In other words, they begin then to, I call it, feel the weight of the rope. Mm -hmm. And that weight of the rope now becomes their balance more so than the weight of me. In other words, they we want to teach them to keep that rope slack and to seek out that that slack in that rope, that space. And But in order to do that, they've got to kind of think about where their feet are going and and how to balance themselves in the process. And of course, the whole purpose of it, and this is always my deal with groundwork. People always ask me, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts toward groundwork, man? I said, well, it's, I, I love it, but quite frankly, I'd rather be in the saddle. But if I skip the groundwork steps and I get in the saddle too early, I find that I end up with the same problems in the saddle that I would have experienced on the ground. The problem is that in the saddle, the horse has a much greater advantage over me than when I'm on the ground. Because on the ground, I can see him. I can feel him. I'm on my feet. I've, I have better balance. Uh, so there's a lot, of, a lot of advantages of me working a horse on the ground than being in the saddle. 
But I'd be the first to admit, I would rather be in the saddle because, quite frankly, I'm lazy. And if I can do everything from the saddle, that's just better for me. I mean, I I basically have said many times, horses are made for riding. Uh, So I'd much rather be in the saddle. But the reality is teaching that horse that respect and that lightness and that responsiveness is so much worth it when we spend and, and put in that time on the ground before we make it into the saddle. But once we are into the saddle, where does that same thing come into play? Well, once we teach the horse to be soft on the lead rope, in other words, when we think about lunging the horse around us, or just, and I don't mean lunging out on a big, long line. In fact, when, when most people watch me lunge a horse, I'm actually in the very beginning on a very, very short lead rope. And I'll start off with a horse literally just walking around me in a fairly tight circle. And then I'll, as the horse gets softer and lighter, I will begin to expand that circle. And, and before you know it, I've got him so responsive, I can put him out there on the very end of that lead rope, no matter how long the lead rope is. But I don't let him have that much freedom and that much, quote unquote, leverage against me until he's kind of earned that right and earned that respect and earned that softness and lightness uh, when, I've, when I'm at, at the advantage on a very short lead rope. But once the horse does begin to seek out that, that softness and that lightness, on the lead rope at a short distance, and we begin to expand it. And then the horse begins to yield every body part very softly and lightly. Now, what I mean by that is if I if I pick up on the nose a little bit and pull his nose toward me, and at the same time I direct my attention and direct the pressure toward his hindquarter, I obviously want to see his hindquarter swing out and swing away from me. And when he can do that with, um, just with, with me only applying a very slight and light amount of pressure, then I know my horse is being very responsive. And the same thing goes for the shoulders. If I direct my attention toward the front end of the horse and direct my attention toward his shoulders, I want to see those shoulders yield away from me as well. That's respect. A lot of times I refer to it as if we were dancing. There's nothing prettier to me than to watch a really good dance couple. Because even though you see that there's absolutely two beings there, it seems as if they flow together as one. And whenever I'm working with a horse... I want to do the exact same thing. I want the horse to move at the rhythm that I'm moving. I want the horse to stay at the distance that I establish as if we are dancing. And and it's just amazing that just after a few minutes as we spend with our horses, it looks almost choreographed that the horse is moving in unison with us and they're keeping that rhythm and keeping that stride with us. And when that happens, Laura, we have, we have kind of reached that pinnacle of softness and lightness and respect. If you watch two really good, I'm going to refer back to the dance analogy. If you watch two really good ballroom dancers, just their posture alone, it look and they, they, I mean, heck, all we know that the two partners could hate each other. But it's just amazing that when they dance in unison like that, there just looks like there's this perfect picture of unison and respect. And when, oftentimes when I'm working a horse, that's the vision I have in my mind. And that's what I'm trying to seek out with my horse is so that we both learn to dance together. But here's another thing I want folks to think about in, in, the, in regard to the dance analogy. Even in dancing, both partners have a very unique role. One is a follower, the leader, in other words, or, and the other one is a follower. So the same thing have, has to take place whenever we're working with our horses. No matter how beautiful it looks and no matter how much the partnership prevails, Nonetheless, the relationship is that one still must be the leader and the other must be the follower. And if it's done correctly, you can't really tell which is which. And I just think that's art in motion when it happens. Yeah, I can see that. And I've watched you work with 
horses that way. And so I kind of am, am picturing what that looks like when that relationship has developed. I mean, how how does a person who doesn't have your years of experience develop that? What are what are the steps, I guess, for somebody who's wanting to get that that touch that you have? Well, in the beginning, we've got to keep things incredibly simple. You know, you hear me say that all the time. Keep things incredibly simple. And then refer back to those four questions we talk about all the time, those four questions of successful horsemanship. Understand what it is that we want. And if we know what we want, then we can go to the next thing. Is what I want fair to the horse? And then the next thing, of course, is can I communicate that? There we go. We're right there at that spot. So whenever we're establishing that respect and that feel is what some people refer to it, to where that horse is learning to be soft and responsive to us, we have to realize it doesn't always start out that way. That oftentimes the horses, if they're too buddied up and they're too friendly or they're too disrespectful, oftentimes we ask them to do things and the horse doesn't respond. So we have to obviously turn up that communication. And you've heard me refer to it as squeeze, bump, kick, and kill. I've also also referred to it as ask, suggest, tell, and demand. So in the beginning, I'm going to ask the horse to do something. And when I say that, I don't mean I'm really going to look at the horses if I'm talking to Mr. Ed and go, hey, Mr. Horse, would you mind doing this for me? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask him in that way, but I am just going to almost make a very light request, if, 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 if we could phrase it differently, just a request that he does something so that he can see my energy change and I'm trying to establish a purpose that I want him to do, want him to achieve. And then if that works, great. I don't have to do anything else. That's pretty darn light when a horse does that based on nothing more than just the just the asking. But if he doesn't do it, then I'm going to make a suggestion to him. Hey, horse, I suggest you move. And if he does it then, great. We don't go any further. If he doesn't, I'll immediately go into stage three, which was, you know what, horse, I'm telling you to move. In other words, I'm going to get a little bit more assertive. And then lastly, of course, if he still doesn't move, then I'm going to be as aggressive as it takes. I'm going to go from ask, suggest, tell until I'm going to demand that he give me some sort of movement. I also call it squeeze, bump, kick, and kill. just because for whatever reason people think that's funny, and if it's funny, they remember it. But the squeeze is where I'm just going to do the lightest thing I possibly can. I'm just going to put light, light pressure on the horse to give me some sort of response. And again, if that works, fine. We don't go any further. If it doesn't, then I'm going to bump a little bit, meaning I'm going to increase the uh, the assertiveness just enough to to see if I get some sort of positive response. And again, if it doesn't work, then we just keep adding and just keep progressing. Um, Tom Dorrance once said, and I just, I really love the quote, we need to learn to be as firm as necessary, but as light as possible. In other words, be committed to do whatever it takes to get whatever it is that we want, but always start off as light as you possibly can. And what, what that tells me, Laura, is that over time, the horses will begin to train us to actually be light. In other words, train us to always ask. And if, and if we do so, and here's the other big lesson for us, we have to practice persistence and consistency. Consistency in the sense that we do the same thing the same way every time so that the horse begins to understand our quote-unquote language. Once they begin to understand our form of communication to them, then the next thing comes in is persistence. And the persistence means we just keep asking and we keep asking more assertively until we get the positive response or at least a very good attempt to give us that positive response. And then comes in the other thing. Oftentimes people say, well, I think I got what I want. Well, wait a minute. It doesn't really count if you think you got what you want. Keep things simple enough that 
that you can think of them as almost like incredibly simple mathematical equations. And what I mean by that, Laura, is this, is that I'm going to ask the horse to do something and the only correct answer, there's only one correct answer to it. Let's say I'm going to do something and it's it's uh, by, by asking and expecting him to do something that I'm asking him, hey, horse, what's one plus one? And I would ask anybody at the clinic or on our podcast, what's one plus one? And if they told me three, I'm going to shake my head. Nope, that's not it. One and a half. Nope, that's not it. In other words, we all know that the only correct answer to one plus one is two. So until the horse gives me the correct answer, then I have to keep persisting in what it is that I'm asking of the horse until he gives me that correct answer. Now, sometimes I don't want to be a pest to the horse. So oftentimes I also have to recognize when the horse is actually making an attempt to do and give him the correct answer. For example, again, if the answer is two and I'm asking the horse to do some very simple exercise and I see that he's making progress toward that, then I want to almost like I'm giving him some sort of affirmation that he's on the right track. So I may take a little bit of pressure off of him while I continue to ask the question. It's almost as if I can picture a kid on the roof of a house and and he's just right at the very edge of that roof, like he's just right hanging at the very eave of the house, right at the very lowest point. And I'm right down below the child and I'm saying, come on, you can do it, little Johnny, jump to me, jump to me. I know you can do it. And we all know that would be a that would be a scary thing, and especially for a kid to do, is to jump off the roof into somebody's arms. But as you can see the kid making an attempt to do that, you want to say, there you go, good job, keep going, keep going, you can do it. In other words, you're, you're trying to encourage the kid to follow through. Well, that's the exact same way I look at when I'm training a horse, is that I want to ask them to do something. I want them to trust me that what I'm asking them is well within their capabilities, and I'm going to keep asking, and I'm going to keep encouraging, and keep asking something of the horse until eventually they give me some sort of an attempt. And when they do, I'm going to praise that attempt. Now, with horses, how do we praise the attempt? We can train them to listen to our voice to a certain degree, but the reality is the real reward for them is when we when we relieve them of a little bit of pressure. We can also look at that, going back to that quote, we can look at that as that by me asking the horse to do something and following through, I'm being very, very firm. In other words, I'm not doesn't always mean that I'm being harsh. I'm not going to get up there and push the kid off the roof or get somebody else to push him off the roof into my arms and then tell him, hey, see there, I know you could do it. That to me is being more firm than you need to be. But at the same time, if you can just encourage, you see, you can just be firm by being persistent. And then when the kid finally makes the effort and he jumps into your under your arms, obviously we would embrace the child for having the courage to do it, and we would embrace the child for for having the trust in us to do it. But in the horse, that embrace and that encouragement might come as nothing more than just an absolute release of whatever pressure that we're applying to them. And as a result, you'll get a horse that's going to seek that out. And that's what we want. Where's that release? Where's that, where is that reward? And they're going to start seeking that out. When they start seeking it, that's when we know that we've reached the epitome of lightness. So how'd we get it? We had, to be, we had to be committed to be as firm as necessary. Well, and you talked about um, consistency, which makes total sense to me, always doing the same thing the same way every time. But also you talked about persistence, and that requires something of you as the horseman or me as a horsewoman, and that's the patience to wait until you get the response you're looking for. I mean, there's so many little pieces of it. Like As you said, when you started kind of talking about this piece of it, you have to know what you want 
first in order to be able to ask for it in that simple way so that you know if you get it or not. And then you have to be patient enough to be persistent until you get the response you need. Yes, and there's, you're exactly right. Now, sometimes with that persistence, we also have to realize, too, we don't want to nag the horse, which is exactly why I tell people why you have to escalate the squeeze, bump, kick, and kill. Because if horses kind of, you know, they're much more patient than we are. They don't have an understanding of what time is, and they really don't have an understanding oftentimes of what it is that we're asking them or the time frame in which we're asking for them to respond. So if we need a response, then we have to be willing and committed to increase the pressure that we're applying until the horse either makes a really good attempt or until after they achieve it. Now, with that said, too, we've also got to consider the fact that when the horse is is making that effort and and when we realize the horse is, is giving that response, that we also have to make sure the horse is following through. In other words, sometimes we don't want them just to give us a real quick answer and then go right back to doing nothing again. Sometimes that's okay. It depends on what we're asking of them. But let's say we're asking for something for the horse to be soft while they're moving their feet, and we, we get the horse to be a little bit soft, but then they stop their feet. Well, see, that's what I mean sometimes when I'm referring to the one plus one thing. You have to move your feet and be soft to give me the correct answer, which is in this case might be two. So we have to be very patient, but we also have to be very persistent, and we also have to Probably another thing I really want to mention, we never want to ask the horse to do something that we're not committed to follow through with. Because if we start asking and then we think, "Ah, I'm not doing it right, I'm just going to quit. We have to stop and ask ourselves, what did the horse learn from us quitting? Oh, I can outweigh him. So if I just sit here long enough and I let him whack me with that lead rope long enough, he's going to begin to question himself and he's going to stop. So in reality, all we're really doing is we're just desensitizing to the horse to more and more pressure because we're going to teach them that, hey, if I can outweigh this guy, then I still get what I want, which is a whole bunch of nothing. So we have to, <laughs> so we have to re- be sure and, 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 and remind ourselves that being persistent also means that we've got to, we got to be willing and committed to stick to the task longer than the horse thinks he's willing and committed to stick to the task. But oftentimes by doing that, of course, not to bring up another episode, but we also want to make sure that whatever we are going to ask of, that we break it down to the little bitty achievable steps so that we can build up on it. For example, if I wanted the horse to move around me in a circle, maybe all I want him to do is take one step in the direction of a circle. And then we'll ask for maybe two steps in the direction of a circle. And then three steps, four steps, five steps until eventually he completes an entire circle. So you see, oftentimes, that circle might start with just that first step of being soft on the lead rope, moving his shoulders and moving his feet in the proper direction, and then later on doing that step after step after step until he completes that full circle. So we've got to be committed and we've got to be willing. Yeah, and I guess that's what I was getting at with the the patience thing, that you have to be willing to do the necessary for as long as it takes to get the horse's response, A, and B, be willing to recognize incremental progress and reward that and then move forward. Exactly. Again, just think about that analogy again. Parents, we see this stuff all the time, whether it's a kid jumping out of a tree or, or off the roof and don't ask me how the kid got up there in the first place. But nonetheless, you know, and you can just, or even in a swimming pool, you know, you're in the pool and you're trying to get little Johnny to jump off the, off the side into the water. 
But you've seen that look on kids' faces, right? When they, when you can see that they want to jump in there, but there's still that doubt or there's still that something about them. So we, it's those moments that we have to be looking for. And when we see that movement that that horse wants to, to take a step or he wants to do something favorable, he wants to do something that we're asking, we've got to figure out how to very softly and supply reward that try. Because it is really a try. It may be just a mental thing, but even a mental effort needs to be rewarded because we've talked about this before. In fact, it's the previous episode we talked about that really the thought controls the action. If you can almost see it in their expressions, if they're thinking about doing the positive thing, then you don't want to do anything to change their mind. In fact, you want to encourage that follow through. Yeah. So we that's what I mean by timing. Oftentimes, timing is that you have to be so keenly aware what the horse is doing, what they're thinking, how they're about to respond, and then reward that just as much as if he were if you're rewarding the final answer. Because oftentimes those little bitty tries will result in you the final answer that you're seeking. So we have to we have to be aware of that. And that's what you've you've said many times. It really comes to recognizing when that try has been made, rewarding them in the in a way that they can understand which is you know that they don't learn from pressure but from the release of pressure and having absolutely the the correct timing for when you release it you bet you know with that said i'm just going to i'm not this may be really controversial to some folks out there you know you've heard me talk before about natural horsemanship and what it really means another thing that kind of gets thrown out there a lot as a buzzword is feel People are, well, that horse has got a good, soft feel, or you need to develop feel. Laura, I'm telling you, I've been doing this for longer than I care to remember. Well, I don't mind telling people. I've been doing it since I was 12 years old, and, it, and that's a long time. As many times I've heard that, every time I hear it, I want to ask whoever says it, pardon the expression, what the hell does feel mean? <laughs> and I'm going to answer that for everybody. Feel is timing. Mm. Feel is good timing. When we ask for something, if the horse has a good feel, the horse is responding in good timing. When the trainer, the horseman, or whoever has good feel, that person has good timing. He's, his motion is fluid. His timing is ideal. So what the heck does feel mean? Feel is a sense of timing. And sometimes it doesn't have to be anything physical. Sometimes it's just that feel that you have when you're riding a horse of good timing and good rhythm with the horse. When to ask, you see, is oftentimes a quote-unquote feel. That's good timing. When to release is good feel, is good timing. So feel, for those of you who are like me and wonder every time you hear somebody say it, what do you mean by that? What the heck does feel mean? And I mean, I'm serious. It bugs the heck. I mean, sometimes I think some guys say it because they don't know either, but they heard one of our gurus talk about it. And when I say guru in this respect, I'm thinking of some of my personal heroes. I don't mean that in a negative way at all. But when I hear those guys use the term feel, they've got to have a good soft feel. And this, I'm thinking, what the heck? But what it really means for those who are like me, feel is a sense of good timing. Uh, good timing on the horse's part and good timing on the handler's part. So and that's basically just going to come from uh, putting in the time and paying attention while you're doing it and, and lots of practice, I guess, Absolutely. on both sides. Yeah. Absolutely. So what do you think about the quote today, Laura? Soft hands or firm hands make a soft horse. Well, it, it totally makes sense to me the way you've described it. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing there may be listeners, though, that are going to have questions and about how to implement that, how to have firm hands without having harsh hands, because there's a line there. And I've seen lots of people go across that line into harshness with their horse. And so lots of things to learn there. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it more in the future. But I would invite listeners who have questions about this, who want more insight into this, to feel free to ask those questions. Jump onto the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page and post a question there for Van to look at or send an email to info at vanhargis.com with your questions. And either they'll be answered in a future episode or you'll probably get an email back from Van with uh, his thoughts on your question. So uh, those are welcome and invited. I want to, I don't want the episode to go too terribly long. I want to encourage listeners to reach out with their questions, their comments, suggestions, either through Facebook, through email, whatever. Tell your friends about the podcast and show them how to subscribe. Check out the website. Go to vanhargis.com and see all that Van Hargis Horsemanship has to offer in terms of services that are available, What where Van is going to be, the, the calendar that's on there, the store where you can get all kinds of cool stuff that Van uses or has designed or both and recommends. And I know your calendar is there, And uh, but Van, are there any uh, events that you want to particularly highlight for listeners right now? Well, obviously the entire schedule is very important to us, Laura, but I've been working for years on uh, one particular thing and one particular event. Uh, we, we, You and I come up with this title a, a while back, uh, a top hand competition. And I'm not going to go into great detail about it yet, but I will tell people that the very first Van Hargis Top Hand Competition will be in October this year down here in South Texas, just outside of Houston, Texas, in fact, at the Great Southwest Equestrian Center uh, in Katy, Texas. And um, as this progresses, we're going to get very, very excited about bringing people more information about this. I think it's going to be probably one of the coolest things that's going to go on in the States in a long time. And it's just really cool to see this come to fruition. And it's just one of those things, too, Laura, that, you know, you just keep planting the seeds, you keep planting the seeds, and before you know it, you just, you get the right weather, you get whatever it takes, and all of a sudden the things start coming up and, and coming to fruition. I, I Rather than going over the whole schedule, that's the one thing I want to get people to, to really look forward to and to keep tabs on our website as we progress with that with that information. But, Laura, if you don't mind, I want to I wanna end today. I, I'm always so grateful to you for encouraging me to do the podcast. And I tell people oftentimes I feel really guilty because I do the podcast because it helps me. I I tell people all the time that I love to help people and that I love horses because they bridge the gap between me and people. And it also, uh, that that the horses to me have, have really taught me some phenomenal lessons that some great people in my life tried to teach me, but the horse helped reinforce it. But Laura, just the other day... I'm probably going to get pretty emotional here, but just the other day, I got this absolutely phenomenal email from one of our listeners. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but it's uh, the initials are BB, and it's a gentleman from New Zealand, and uh, he just wrote a response back to us that really brought me to tears because it made me realize that the work that we put in here and reaching out to people really makes a difference. It, it really helped this man in ways that just absolutely blew my mind. And BB, if you're out there listening, I just want to tell you, I hear you, brother, and uh, keep reaching out to us. We'll do everything we can to help you guys out. But, uh, Laura, with that said, 
And again, I apologize. It didn't take much to get me pretty emotional about stuff, and especially anything that's somewhat spiritual. But with that said, I, I want to say thank you to each and one of the listeners. Keep reaching out to us. Let us know what you're thinking about the podcast, and don't hesitate to share your stories with us. Don't hesitate to share your com- uh, your comments with us, and of course, your questions. I'll do everything in my power to get those answered for you. But um, Bar, with that said, I just want to remind everybody that it's your ride, it's your trail, it's your journey. So ride every stride.